Continuation of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time Jesus spoke this parable to his disciples: Then the kingdom of heaven shall be compared to ten maidens, who took their lamps, and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them: but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom; come out to meet him. Then all those maidens rose and trimmed their lamps. And behold, the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, Perhaps there will not be enough for us and for you. Go, rather, to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward the other maidens came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The saving words of the gospel. Truly saving words. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. If we could just take those to heart, how many, if we kept those in the foremost of our minds, before our eyes, in the ears of our heart all the time, how many sins would we avoid? How many good works would we perform? If we could just keep that foremost in our minds. That's why I think we have to think in a disciplined way of the four last things, even on a daily basis, to contemplate them, at least for a little while. Now, today we celebrate the feast of St. Agnes of Rome, uh, who died in probably around 304 in the time of the persecution of the Emperor Diocletian. Uh, and she is with us today. I have a first-class relic of Agnes. And you can see a little candle up there burning next to it, so you can see it a little, a little more easily. Uh, she was of a noble family, and she had committed herself to Christ. But, as sometimes happened in the ancient world with these virgin martyrs, um, being very attractive and from a noble family, um, there were suitors, some of them powerful, and uh, she refused uh, to be married because she said she had one spouse, and that was Christ. And uh, that infuriated uh, the powers that be, and so she was dragged naked through the streets to a brothel to be debased. But all the men who approached her were blinded. And it's also said that her, there was a, that her hair miraculously grew to cover, uh, to cover her up. And then they tried to burn her alive, and that didn't work. Um, she didn't burn. And uh, so then they beheaded her, and her body was buried on the Via Nomentana. Um, and uh, her tomb is there. There's a great basilica. There was a cemetery out there already. And uh, then, of course, it became, just as happened very often with the, the tombs of martyrs, people wanted to be near her, and, and they built a, a big basilica over her. Um, her foster sister uh, was killed on while well, she was praying at her tomb, and so they were put into the same tomb together, and that's St. Emerenciana. And uh, we have uh, information about uh, Agnes from several different sources. Um, St. Augustine of Hippo, he writes about her in a couple sermons. Um, Ambrose, 
Jesus is a chief source, and also she is lauded highly in a beautiful lyric by Prudentius, the Christian poet Prudentius. So Agnes is extremely important of the Roman saint. She is, of course, in the Roman canon, and she's highly venerated in Rome, even today. A lot of children born in Rome and Italy today are named Agnes, after this great saint. And she has two feast days in the Roman, well, she had two feast days in the Roman calendar. And then that was reduced to one. She has two great churches in Rome, however. There's St. Agnes out of the Via Nomentana, that's the Basilica. And then right in the heart of Rome, the Piazza Navona, that great church that you see in the famous photos along the long stretch of, of what was the, the uh, stadium, once upon a time, the stadium of Domitian, that's the Piazza Navona. There in front of the, the great fountain um, designed by Bernini of the Four Rivers, you see the great facade of the, of the church, uh, designed by Borromini and uh, built for the Pamphili family, um, Pope Innocent Tenth, And it's, uh, uh, and there you find, um, there's a statue uh, in, in there to the right, the transept, um, showing uh, Agnes with long, very long hair engulfed in flames, but praising God. And then if you go around the side, over to the left side, there's a little chapel where you find the, uh, the baptistry, and there is a baptismal font, and it's the baptismal font in which St. Francis of Rome was baptized, Santa Francesca Romana, and I have a, a relic of her right over here, two of my favorite great Roman patrons and saints, um, these beautiful uh, women saints. And uh, then you go around and into the kind of the back along the, the, the side of the church, and there's a little chapel there that has the, uh, the reliquary of the skull of St. Agnes. And um, uh, her skull, uh, in, I think it was in the, oh, I don't remember exactly which century, when uh, I think maybe in the 19th century they opened up her tomb, which they had rediscovered, and uh, they found the uh, you know, two skeletal remains of two young women, one of them without a head. And uh, Leo XIII took the skull of Agnes that was preserved at the Sancta Sanctorum, that's also where the, uh, the, the famous stairs are that, um, uh, that they think pa uh, Christ went up when he went to his judgment. And um, that's the one where people go up on their knees. I recently had a photo of that on the blog. And uh, he gave that then to the Basilica of St. Agnes in the, in the Piazza Navona, Sant'Agnese in Agone. Agone being an um, Italianization of the word Agon, which Paul, which, is, which means the struggle or the athletic contest, and uh, that's an image that Paul uses um, for the life of the Christian uh, to surge ahead, to keep trying, to try to win that that unfading crown of glory. You know, you remember his famous words: "I have run the race, I have fought the good fight." You know that that kind of thing. So we have this uh, we have this parable um, that we usually have for the for virgin martyrs, and that is the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. 
Uh, and by the way, this first uh, thing from Ecclesiasticus, or the book of Sirach, as it's also called, I didn't read it, but uh, there are some, it, it's the description of someone who is being uh, tormented, and uh, uh, one of the things in there um, talks about fire and so forth. I think that was chosen because of the patristic accounts of the, uh, the attempts uh, to martyr St. Agnes. Anyway, um, in this parable, you know, of course, all parables have their twists, don't they? Um, they have little twists and turns in them that just don't seem to, things that seem to be kind of out of sort. Uh, for example, um, these, uh, these, these young women who are like bridesmaids. So you've got to understand something about Jewish weddings. Uh, Jewish weddings started as betrothals. Uh, there was an exchange of vows. And from that point on, the couple was legally married, but the marriage then usually wouldn't be consummated until much later, like maybe even, you know, longer times, a year, who knows, so that the groom could prepare a home for the bride to receive the bride. But they were legally married. And then there was, uh, when it was time for the marriage, the consummation of the marriage, there was a wedding feast that could last seven days. And then sometime during that seven days, depending on how it was um, uh, with, the, with the Sabbath and Holy Days, there would be a night when the bride would be picked up, raised up, and carried to the home of her, of her husband. And there they would enter into the wedding chamber for the consummation of the marriage. And they would be accompanied you know, in, this, in, this, uh, in this procession. And so that's what we have here. We've got the, the young women with their lamps, and there's going to be the nighttime procession, and um, so that they have their, uh, their the lights to light their way. Well, knowing what a procession is, as one would, first of all, it, the, the, the virgins who didn't bring oil for their lamps were not just foolish virgins, they were stupid virgins, right? And so, you know, and then there's the other thing, too. These things don't last. I mean, these processions don't go on forever. So, I mean, how much oil really do you need? So why wouldn't the other ones give the to their friends some oil for their lamps? That's another strange little twist in the, in the parable. And then another thing is that why would they tell them at midnight to go and buy something when there's absolutely no possibility that there's a shop open? So we see how truly foolish um, uh, the, uh, the ones who are unprepared, who didn't think things through, um, truly are. And so when the, uh, the fools finally arrive at the door, because the, it says that the door was shut here. When they went, into the, they went into the banquet, they went in for the celebration, and the door was shut. And they're, saying, they're standing outside saying, Lord, Lord, Kyrie, Kyrie, just like we do at Mass, right? Kyrie, Kyrie, Lord, Lord, let us in. And he, you hear, the, I think, what are some of the most harrowing words in all of Scripture. From the other side of the door comes this voice saying, I do not know you. Which words I find really kind of, Kind of terrifying, but they do underscore then the point of the parable, the nimshal, 
as it's called in Hebrew, the point of a parable, the nimshal. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You think about the door. From the other side of that door, a symbol of utter, utter separation. That's what the eternity of hell is. It's the, the utter separation from God. And you think about the, the this this phrase, Lord, Lord. You know, the Lord Christ uses this more than once, doesn't he, in describing our eternal fate and the state of the disposition of our souls. In Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. See, they were doing good things, right? Prophesying his name, casting out demons, doing mighty works, and he calls them evildoers. Because they're not properly disposed. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's one last thing that I'll leave you with. Um, <clears throat> because... Um, we like to go. I had mentioned that I had mentioned that uh, our reference points for Saint Agnes in the ancient world were uh, Prudentius and, and very much Ambrose, but also Augustine. And Augustine has something to say about the the two different groups of virgins. Augustine, of course, you know, there are different ways that we can interpret scripture. We can take it very literally, but there's also there are also symbolic meanings too. So, what does Augustine say about the two different groups of virgins? Here's Augustine. They are both virgins, and yet half are rejected. It is not enough that they are virgins, but that they also have lamps. They are virgins by reason of abstinence from unlawful indulgence of the senses, but they have lamps by reason of good works. You see how he's the symbolism. He's taking a very symbolic approach to the virgins. They are re virgins by reason of absence from unlawful indulgence of the senses, so they're avoiding certain kinds of sins. But they have lapsed by reason of good works, so there are, there are things that they avoid and there are things that they do. Of these good works, the Lord says, Let your works shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See how he's using scripture to interpret scripture. Again, he said to his disciples, Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning. And the girded loins is virginity, and the burning lamps is good works. So you see what he does here. We have how, how much we have, to, how much we have to, to avoid sins and perform good works. And isn't that exactly what I said at the very beginning? How many, if we really kept these words... Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Truly in the ears of our hearts, before the eyes of our minds, all the time, consider, contemplating them, considering them with the four last things. How many sins would we avoid, and how, many, and how zealous would we be for good works? St. Agnes, pray for us before the throne of God today, that we will be faithful and wise, and not stupid or, or, or foolish, in our uh, in our lives uh, being neglectful of the things that are needful
and also intercede because you are such a, a beautiful Roman saint. Intercede for the church at all levels in Rome, that God, the high, that Christ, the High Priest, and Mary, Queen of Clergy, will bring to them great graces to return their apostolic works and ministries at every level to orthodoxy, sanity, and sanctity.